This podcast is recorded on stolen and unceded Aboriginal land. We acknowledge the First Nations and elders of this country and we join their calls for justice. Lila, I have to ask you an important question. Are you a Taylor Swift fan? I am. I'm going to two <laughs> separate Eras Tour shows. Oh, you got tickets? I got tickets twice. Fuck. I fucking went. Okay. That's now I'm going to be mad. But I also, I'm wondering if you're feeling the similar levels of like cognitive dissonance as oh, me this 100%, week. 100%. 100%. It's getting really hard. It's getting really hard because I love her. And she's just, I mean, not only like completely silent on Gaza and Palestine and released her film in Israel despite everything that's happening. Uh, but she also is just extremely cringe and she was named Times Person of the Year this week and some of the quotes in that article are, um, they're, uh, how would you describe them? They're horrendous, uh, insufferable. It's, it's like, Taylor, Taylor, listen, listen, I love you. I do, okay? Loved you since I was a kid. This is the most embarrassing shit I have ever seen written on the internet and it's like completely obvious that you're just trying to sound cool and hip with the kids and it's coming off like, how do you do, fellow kids? Like, you're not old. Mm. What are you doing? Yes, how did did she manage to make herself sound older and like less cool than she is? Like, Yeah, exactly. She is like the, like, she is a billionaire, which is ick, but she's like the she's the best selling female artist. Like she is, mm. you know, such an influential woman, which again is like why it's so important that she does speak up about issues that she is completely silent on. Yeah. But it's like you're going to be like a young, you know, influential woman to this degree in this society and then turn around and somehow be the most cringe person on the planet. I don't understand it. Like she <laughs> The quote, I think the one that really a lot of people just can't move past, and I'm one of those people, is where she's talking about writing albums or making new albums or something. And I guess these are Harry Potter references. I don't know. Like, are you, have you watched, do you understand Harry Potter? I, I do, but the first one is a Harry Potter reference. So it's Harry Potter reference, then it is um, Avengers reference, um, so Marvel, uh, Lord of the Rings reference, a Star Wars oh. reference. Um, I don't know one of them, but then it's a Game of Thrones, um, a oh Men in God. Black reference, oh, a Narnia. Narnia reference, and then a Witcher reference. There's only one I, I didn't realise. Okay, okay. So, okay, the quote for folks who haven't heard it is, quote, I'm collecting Horcruxes, I'm collecting Infinity Stones, Gandalf's voice is in my head every time I put out a new one. These are the droids I'm looking for. I This one, I, they're, oh, they're a whole fracking shipload of unobtainium i am the mother of dragons these are my dragons i'm collecting galaxy marbles they're the pieces of turkish delight that the white witch feeds edmund i am your witcher and i want you to toss a coin to me i feel ill (laughs) it's so bad i feel ill and i feel and like when and then she's the other one that just really i mean there are so many but the other one that really got me was when she's talking about reputation which i love um, reputation but to describe it as taylor swift does as quote a goth punk moment of female rage at being gaslit by an entire social structure i'm not i'm not really so sure 
we should probably stop talking about Taylor Swift because, well, some people like it. We did a whole Patreon episode and pe- some people were like, yes, this is made for me. And some people were like, fuck you. I'm never going to listen to this. Stop talking about it. So, well, for the people who enjoyed that, you're welcome. And for those who didn't, we're stopping now. You can't be punk if you're a billionaire. That is fundamentally no. against the entire purpose of being punk. You cannot be a punk billionaire. It doesn't exist. Talk about the Greens. That funny, that bunch of idiots. If you want the doll for life, free marijuana, vote Greens. And as always, the Greens are there to bail the Labor Party out. And to do that, they plan to team up with the Greens. They want to destroy the social fabric of society. We're stuck with the hosts of Chapo Shithouse podcast. <laughs> How do you want to be described? So, uh, that's a good question. Um, an insufferable green shill. Um, it's from TM. Um, that's what the left renewal, renewal, renewal page calls me. Renewal. How many renewals are there? I don't know. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> do you call yourself a TikToker? I, yes, I do. <laughs> I don't like the word influencer because I think that's ick. Um, yeah, fair. But. Um, I'm not influencing creator. anybody. I'm just yelling into the void, really. Do you not think you're influencing anybody? Maybe we can um, talk about that. Yeah. <laughs> we will get into that. It's it's Lila RPG, by the way, everyone. That is our guest co-host this week. Hold on, let me fix um, my, my Christmas tree. Yes. It's, it's a gay Christmas tree. Oh, it is. Yeah. It's, it's rainbow, everyone, for those listening at home. But, yeah, Lila RPG, everyone, our guest co-host. Tom's away. Tom is holidaying. I'm going to be holidaying next week, so then Tom will have a guest co-host then. But for this week, you've got me and Lila. Hello. Insufferable Greens, Shill, and Serious Danger fan. Am I correct in saying? Listener? Yes. Um, I I mean, I did go to your physical, like your in-person um screening um that was yeah. just to meet you though like let's be real <laughs> it's more serious danger fan mm, emerald moon fan that's emerald probably moon more fan. correct more correct that's right yeah um well yeah i mean i feel like this has been a long time coming we move in similar circles lila folks would probably know from i guess the internet uh they make informative videos on the social media app TikTok, but also just on Twitter and just doing things everywhere. Bit of an Ospol commentator, turf fighter, I would say. Yes. Uh, a bit of reputation for that. Um, so, yeah, wanted to get you on the show for everyone who is listening for the first time. This is Serious Danger. It's a podcast about green politics in Australia. It's not an official Greens Party podcast. It is made possible with the help of the Green Institute and produced by Michael the Griff Griffin. This week with Lila, we are talking about ham and evil greedy supermarkets and price gouging, et cetera. And then we're going to mine Lila's experience and talk about social media and TikTok and politics, how they all fit together. First, I just want to thank our new patrons, Heath, Maud, Paul, and Tim. Thank you for paying Mike's wages. We very much appreciate it. Um, We just put out a a new subscriber-only episode, another installment of our Reading Inside the Greens series where Tom reads me a bedtime story and everyone should go listen to it. We covered like Bob Brown getting into parliament, Bob Brown getting arrested and then going to parliament, etc. It's interesting. It's only three bucks a month to be a patron and it helps us keep the show going. So uh, folks should consider doing that if you're not already. And then one more housekeeping thing is that we still have just a very small handful of shirts. We now only have extra small and extra, extra large sizes 
So if you want to get one, please jump on there now. They're 35 bucks. Uh, we'll ship them out to you. We also have the stickers with the Clive Palmer quote. <laughs> oh, no. Steam clam melting Steam pandas bite your girl's Steam clams on to the big story of the week, though, of course. Uh, on Monday, I'm sure you would have been really pleased to see this, Labor Senator Murray Watt made a huge intervention into the Cozy Lives crisis by asking supermarkets to please maybe nicely consider uh, freezing the price of ham. Well, with Christmas approaching, I've got a very simple message for the big supermarket chains. Hands off our ham. Right now, the major retailers are charging eight bucks a kilo for Christmas hams. I want to make sure that they don't lift those prices over the next couple of weeks when we see more demand happening. I've been pleased to see the supermarkets start to reduce their prices for meat after I've been calling on them to do so for the last couple of months. Now it's time to look at the Christmas ham, keep those prices reasonable so that Aussies can enjoy a good Christmas. Is this, you know, how life-changing is this going to be for you, Lila? I just don't understand why ham. Is it like Murray personally just like really likes Christmas ham and he like went to the shops or something and saw it was really expensive and it's just like, this is an outrage. I must do something. Hands off our hams. What happened? Hands off our hams. I mean, look, I'm not going to say it's not kind of catchy. Hands off our hams has been stuck in my head. Um, But he... I guess, like, I don't know if it was just this tweet or they did a whole media release thing, but he's done this thing where he goes, hands off our hams, quote, I'm calling on the big supermarket chains to put a price freeze on Christmas hams so families can budget this Christmas. The Albanese government is helping Aussies with cost of living pressures and we need the supermarkets to do the right thing too. Um, I mean, I th- okay, I, I did think that the reaction to this was interesting because my initial reaction wasn't necessarily like, why ham? But I feel like a lot of people, yeah, were like, why ham? And it, it's surely it's because ham is the, I guess, quintessential, like that's just a stereotypical Christmas thing, right? And they're trying to like tap into, I don't know, Christmas spirit. Um, I don't really know what the conversations like were leading up to this, but that's what they were going for, right? Yeah, for sure. So they're definitely like, from my perspective, I believe that they probably wanted to tap into some kind of, there's a growing unrest in the community right now because it is there, we are in a cost of living crisis and it is very heavily affecting people. And there is that perception that the government isn't doing anything to combat it. Um, like that is a very public perception right yes. now. So yes. obviously it's some kind of media thing that they wanted to do, some kind of like advertising or constant where they associated Christmas time where everybody's feeling an elevated level of stress because they can't afford to have a good Christmas with their family because of cost of living pressures. So they're trying to attach themselves to that feeling of Christmas and then make it look like they're doing something mm. about cost of living. So it's those two things mm. that they're trying to bring together. I just don't yeah. know who is advising them on that because <laughs> do they know yeah. they're the government? Yeah. Well, that's okay. Cause that's the thing. Cause I was like, there's two, or there's a few ways you can take this. Like, I guess the first way is just to be like, this is stupid. Let the supermarkets do whatever, focus on other things. And sure. There'll be some people who think that, but I think that the other, the two main directions are first of all, why fucking ham? Not everyone eats ham. Why the fuck not? All these other essential items that people actually need and how out of touch are you that I think that you think ham is the biggest problem for Australian families right now. But the the other direction is you are the government. Why not simply do something? And I suppose there's 
Uh, I think there's validity to both, but certainly my first reaction was more the latter where I was like, oh, you're calling on the supermarkets. Like, I mean, you can make fun of the greens for constantly calling for things, which they do, but that's because they're not in fucking government. Exactly. It's like the greens call for things because the greens position currently right now is to call for things. That's their entire thing is to hold the government to account and to call for things is to use all the parliamentary avenues that exist, like inquiries Mm. and amendments and things like that. Like that is what I can create social pressure. Like that is their purpose in parliament. The government is the literal government. And I I have had maintained this position since Labor were elected. My dog is barking. I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) I've maintained this position since Labor were elected, that they have been so comfortable being in opposition for the last decade that they don't know how to govern um, in terms of the way that they communicate things and the way that they do things, that they're so used to communicating in the opposition. Um, And so they're making these decisions and doing these things thinking that, they can um, they can influence like that they're on the outside trying to influence the government as opposed to the people making the, the decisions that mm. impact people, um, and yeah. so that's like the big thing with supermarkets is like we, we are in a cost of living crisis and there is that um, that fear around like we see it in Victoria there's a fear around stepping into supermarket price gouging means co- creating a command economy as our Treasurer Tim Pallas down here likes to say. What does um, that mean? It's command economy is is like. The, it's basically the communist style. I believe North Korea uses a command economy. Okay, um, right, right. We're we're just like North Korea for yeah. So got it. Um, it's a it's like central government authority dictates the levels of production that are permissible and the prices that may be charged uh, okay. for goods and services according to Google. Okay. But yeah, it's um the the way I understand it is that it is used in in places like North Korea. Okay. Fact check me, but I'm pretty sure that's it. Um, but like that's right. that's the line that's usually trotted out as like you know communist or command economy or things okay. like that. That they seem really actively scared to step in. Um, but it's like you like the, the tools are there. It's not like they don't exist, and there's not like there's there isn't any historic um, evidence of you know governments being able to step in when it comes to things like food, essential food. Um, like it dates all the way back to war times that there are those avenues that exist within yeah. government that they could do to actually tackle this if they genuinely wanted to. Yeah, yeah. There's so much. I mean, this feeds into like the whole thing that it's this idea that supermarkets or, you know, corporations in general are kind of benevolent entities that are just going to do something nice because they want to, you know, help Aussie families this Christmas, uh, which is exactly the line that they've been using to avoid any regulation because they go, oh, well, we froze, you know, after the, during or after the pandemic, we froze the prices of certain things. I think Coles and Woolies both both did this and, and they're like, so no need to regulate us because um, we're, we're already doing it. And yeah, Labor just adopts that wholesale and and goes, you know, up to you if you guys want to maybe just give us this little scrap that would be really nice meanwhile they are going to continue to be able to price gouge and to make off with like billions and billions of dollars in profits um which is the actual is the problem that we need to be addressing right which is why and i feel like on the podcast we have been for some time i think people know it's a bit of a bugbear of mine is that I feel as though the Greens and just the left in Australia in general have been too slow to get onto this, onto like regulating supermarket price gouging and like breaking up the duopoly. We did an episode, I think if if people want to go back and listen to it, episode 58 with Amy McMahon, who's the Greens MP in um, South Brisbane here in Queensland. And she also has a thing about this. And yeah, we we talked a bunch about grocery costs and what could be done. And But I, I think then this week... 
to see that the Greens secured this Senate inquiry into supermarket pricing and market power, I was like, fucking yes. Like, yes. Fucking finally. And also in Victoria as well. So last week, uh, a similar inquiry was uh, Victoria beat the feds um, to it. Um, (laughs) I'm just proud of my little state. Um, (laughs) State power. um, Yeah, the uh, Victoria the week before also secured an inquiry into um, like supermarket price get food affordability um so mm-hmm. um i haven't read the terms of reference but similar vibe um because i was so excited about the senate one so i'm like oh my god <laughs> yeah. what are the because this is what I'm, I'm i'm kind of interested to hear that there's that state inquiry as well because it's like what are the solutions at the state level i mean there are a lot of things i think that the feds could do to um i guess limit market uh concentration and I don't know, you know, even put price caps on the the supermarkets. But at a state level, what are the solutions? Um, so the in Victoria, the solutions presented is part of like a four-point plan. Um, so the first one was the inquiry into food affordability. Um, and then the, basically what the, the Greens are hoping for in Victoria is they want to, reading off of Sam Hibben's Instagram here, um, is they want to <laughs> declare groceries a regulated industry, uh, re-establish an office for prices and appoint a minister for fair prices. Mm. So that's the state action oh, okay. that they are seek, the Greens are seeking in Victoria. And so they would be able to control like or set limits on prices at a state level yeah so my understanding is that would work similar to the way um that we have things like the essential services commissions down here and we have in victoria Mm. um, something called the victorian default offer which is a regulated price for electricity um whether you think that's effective that's an entire other i could sit here for a Mm. year and talk about (laughs) the victorian default (laughs) offer but um like Basically, there's legislation that exists in that declares water and electricity an essential service, and that was amended back in 2019 to add electricity mm-hmm. so that they could create this video. So there's that kind of idea. Um, like, if I if my understanding of this is correct, is my the idea would be to do a similar thing with grocery prices and declare mm-hmm. it an essential industry, like they did with energy. Yeah. It's so interesting, right? Because this is often one of those, you know, conservatives almost getting it right thing where when you talk about essential services like healthcare or electricity, uh, things like this being, you know, free or or publicly owned. And they're like, what's next? Food is going to be free or publicly owned. And it's like, well, yeah, like things that people need to live, actually there should be government, you know, at least intervention or participation in ensuring that that is accessible to every single person. Because if it's something that you need to live, like that is the government's job actually. And there's, you know, there's a debate even, which I, we sort of had on that, that previous episode, but as you say about the limits of um, even industry control, where it remains in the hands of private profit-making corporations, as opposed to public entities and whether we need a publicly owned supermarket that that's I think a long way in the future but I would love that idea mm. publicly owned supermarket sounds great we just we're sounding so communist right now yes, oh my that's god right. gonna this put is like North list. Korea yeah uh, <laughs> um, we um it actually goes back to something that you said like with all of this is the fact that like we currently with you know people say oh what's next supermarket mm. like food food's gonna be um gonna be publicly owned or whatever and it's just like a private company they exist for their shareholders and to make profit. That yes. is fundamentally how private companies work in, in a capitalist system with the way that our structure is. And so a, a business and a, like a, 
a big private corporation, their priority is to ensure that their profit margin increases and their shareholders are happy. Um, and so it is not for the consumer. It is not to provide the best service or the best product or the most affordable product to a consumer to increase their profit margin. So no private company is going to do the right thing by the consumer because that's not their priority. And so they're not going to do that unless you make them. Yeah, unless there's something in it for them. Or unless you make them. Yes. So it's right. like, and yeah. so it's like you, it's unless it's beneficial for them. So in terms of like things like a actual proper successful boycott campaign that is very targeted and widespread that will actually affect their profit margin, mm. then they might do something about it. Um, they, you know, sometimes do things that don't make any sense. Like there's an increase of theft and then they turn around and, you know, install like gates that lock you in like a prisoner um into the into the systems and then then put 10 trillion cameras in your face but you know like that the reason that they moved on that was because there was a loss in net profit from shoplifting yes so they won't act on anything unless there is some kind of financial incentive for them to do so or they're forced to yes yeah exactly forced yeah it's like are they to continue to make profit they need to do this then sure they'll do it or if you know if there's a, a massive i guess super profits tax um then they might think twice about price gouging for example but that point that you make about stealing i did want to, i think this is really interesting right because what is happening right now under this complete uh, you know unregulated system is that while ordinary people are struggling to afford groceries, everybody fucking knows that. It's no secret. Woolworth's net profit lifted 4.6% to $1.62 billion in the last financial year. Overall sales of $64.29 billion. Coles had a 4.8% rise to $1.1 billion. And apparently one of the major reasons that their profit wasn't bigger or like as big as Woolworth's is because they had an even sharper increased increase in theft. And so their response is, yeah, like introducing all these new forms of surveillance, new forms of technology to try and stop people from stealing. But it's like, why, why are people stealing? Why do people steal from supermarkets? Just because it's, it's fun. Like they love the thrill of thinking that maybe they'll get fucking caught and, and charged. No, (laughs) absolutely not. People steal because they need to. Yeah. A hundred percent. So the like the biggest thing is like if you want to decrease the amount of theft that's happening in your store, you need to make food affordable. Yes. Because that's the reason why people are stealing. Um, it's like you wouldn't have a like a, a level this high in any other circumstances. Like the correlation between a massive high cost of living and theft is as clear as day. Like mm. everybody understands that. It's not some yeah. kind of trade secret that this is why theft is happening. And so they've spent all this money on all this like really high surveillance technology instead to try and combat theft when the most simple way to combat theft is just to bring down their prices. Like, yeah. That is the, the simplest way for them to do that. Yeah, but there's this huge disconnect. This is another one where there's a huge disconnect between kind of the political and media class and, and the rhetoric around or the, the morality of like stealing from supermarkets and ordinary people. I think if you talk to any ordinary person, like most people have stolen from Coles and Woolies. That's and especially if you are unemployed or if you're on low low income or if you're on social security, like that's that's when you're more likely to steal. I like I steal much less than I used to because I don't need to anymore. But I stole when I needed to. That's a fucking fact of life. And but but no one wants like politicians just want to pretend that that is not true because oh it's fucking it's illegal. I don't know if you remember like. 
were you kind of, uh, do you remember the Joanna Nielsen, the Vic, Vic Green's Senate or Upper no, House candidate? No, this, bef- yeah. this was definitely before my time. Yeah, yeah, but you know what I'm talking about, right? This is, yeah, yeah so, so she was running um, for the Greens. This was in, I think, 2018, so like five years ago now, and was basically forced to resign, forced to step down as a candidate because these posts emerged that she had made in Facebook groups literally like years earlier in fucking 2015 and she'd spoken about a few like (laughs) they were kind of just funny shit posts she was talking about you know smelling like weed and I don't know just funny things that you would post but the one that was really the headline thing was that she talked about stealing from Woolies and Coles and she kind of was you know jokingly providing tips about how she she steals uh, and saying that she was the baddest shoplifter there is and that was like the headline thing that she then was, you know, had to step down for. And I like, I think there's been a lot of discussion since then, thankfully, in, you know, among leftist circles and and in the Greens in particular about how she was treated by the party in being, I guess, like pushed to to step down for something that actually is totally fucking defensible. Doesn't mean that she wasn't a suitable candidate. Doesn't mean that she was a suitable person for office. Actually, probably more suitable than most of the people in there. And yet she was like forced out unsupported. But that like I, I like to think that would not happen now because we have, you know, I, I think most Greens MPs would be expected to acknowledge that people steal to survive. We have um the Greens, like our, our mayoral candidate up here in Brisbane, John O'Shaughnessy, who is a bit more spicy in general than than others and kind of ahead of the curve on a lot of things, but he made a post last year in response to this kind of tongue-in-cheek article in a local uni paper that again, provided like tips on shoplifting. And he did this long post that was like, you know, a lot of people are surprised to learn that everyone else is also shoplifting, but I think it's totally, it's morally defensible. And he just came out and said it. And I'll read a quick quote from the post that he made. He said, I think a lot of middle-class people are still in denial about how ridiculously hard things are for people on lower incomes. I think that we, the fact that we can't talk openly about shoplifting contributes to that. He said there's a lot of stigma around stealing because it's seen as a moral failing of the individual. But I think we need to challenge that head on and say that if people are stealing, it's not because they're bad people. It's because our current economic system is fundamentally broken and allows the rich to get richer while the poor sleep on the street. Yeah, and there's a, a, a bit there like that in the quote, that I think is really important, which is if politicians and well-off people in power don't like that, they should increase mm, the dollar. Yes. Like I think that's probably like a really like, you know, we we have to understand this really human element that, you know, these are people, they, they are struggling and, you know, people deserve to live. And if that is what they need to do to survive, then it is a morally defensible thing that to understand that people are desperate. Yeah. Um, but then also like people, if they are these people who are, you know, clutching their pearls or, you know, around theft and around people struggling, it's like you do have the tools in your positions of power, yes. like in all petitions of like, not even just government or parliament. It's like you, if you're, you know, a supermarket duopoly, you have direct access to the politicians yeah. in the government and you have severe, like high influence. It's like, if if you, are worried about that it's like shouldn't your first priority being making sure that everybody has all of the necessary things to live and then that they wouldn't need to be forced into that position because like being being reduced to like the the 
the position where you need to steal mm. to feed your kids, that is not a position anybody wants no. to be in. It's not a position that anybody is like, like going, hell yeah, I'm so, you know, yeah. like, yeah, just, just want to, just want to go and steal my baby formula because I want to feed my baby. Like I'm so cool. Like that's not what's happening. It's like people are beaten down and broken. And like you said, with that candidate that was forced to, um, kind of step down, mm. it's like about how, you know, they might be more relatable than, you know, people who are currently holding office. It's like my local member has been the local member since I was a baby. It's like, I don't think that this MP, my local MP would really have any kind of, you know, knowledge about struggle in community even if they were working class 28 years ago um <laughs> they've spent 28 years on an mp salary on a ministerial salary mm. um like recent like previously and recently and it's like that you know you're so far away from the struggles of that person who's making that decision in that shop because they are so desperate to feed their family and they have no other choice because everything is so expensive and they're receiving no assistance. Mm. Um, it's like someone on job seeker, for instance, or, you know, a single parenting payment or something like that. Like those people, it's like they, when they're making that choice because they don't have a choice, like they, they, they don't, they eat or not eat is yes. the choice that they're making there. Yes. It's like someone who's been in that position of, a well-paying job for their entire life. Like, do they really have that understanding to, you know, to pass judgment, I yeah. guess, on that? Like, that's, that's kind of my opinion on it. Like, do, do they have the right to pass judgment? <laughs> no. I mean, and there's, like, where's the fucking moral outrage for the fact that people can't afford to eat? That's the thing. Like, all the moral outrage is directed against people responding to those conditions. It's directed against, you know, Jono for even talking about the, the fact that people might shoplift. It's, it's directed against the people who are shoplifting. It's directed against, you know, kids who are responding to... To, to to poverty and around this kind of, you know, the idea that there's a youth crime crisis. It's directed against the idea that people might squat in vacant homes. That's another thing that, that Jono, again, has spoken about um, and continues to get attacked for. Like those are the classic lines that they will roll out. They say he encourages squatting, he encourages shoplifting. And it's like, why are you more angry about the idea that someone might sleep in a vacant home that is owned by someone else and that's illegal than about the fact that they have nowhere else to sleep. I, I think that there's something else here that you should be a little bit more angry about and yet you'll be so angry about that and then the only intervention that you make is coming in and going, hey, maybe the supermarkets should make ham a little bit cheaper. <laughs> yeah, it's, um, and th yeah, it's like the, again, it's like, the government being so far removed, like these mm. people in these positions of power being so far removed from those those choices, those individual choices people are being forced to make. Um, that yeah, it's just like, oh, we we people are so desperate. We they feel like we're completely failing them in the cost of living crisis. Like we need to do something. Oh, we need to make it look like we need to talk about how great we are. We need to Dorothy Dixer ourselves into into everyone yeah. thinking that we're doing great cost of living action, and we're going to we do something that you know we in our you know in our offices thought was a great idea, which was ham because every Christmas ham, you know, yeah, like everyone eats it's ham. It's just so it's yeah. it's like you see it. Like for me, it's the greatest thing that's ever happened because I've been making memes <laughs> about it all week. Um, but it's one of those things where it's like. I saw it and I, I I let out the most like I can't even describe the sound I let out of my mouth when I saw it because the disbelief that mm. this is where we are right now, it, like it just it doesn't 
Yeah. It does make sense when I think about the context of labor, but it doesn't make sense to me yeah. as a human being, you know? Yeah. But I mean, like, at this, I, I guess to put the kind of silver lining hopeful thing on it, I was like, look, the fact that labor is being forced to talk about the, you know, the way that supermarkets should not be charging so much for groceries, even though like it's in this most cooked way and that's such a small thing. But I'm like, that actually does kind of maybe mean something. I think the fact the fact that that has happened in the same week that the Greens established this, you know, this Senate inquiry into supermarket pricing. I think that that says something and like gives me a little bit of hope that we are actually shifting towards discussions that we weren't having even, you know, a year ago. And that's good. Um, I'm curious to know, like, what do you think because uh, this is the other thing we obviously like we, <laughs> inquiries are good but then also it's like wow another fucking inquiry great what's that gonna do do you think that anything realistically is going to come out of that inquiry um see I don't I'm not 100% sure in terms of like any kind of political outcomes because that is dependent on the government and yeah I just I don't have any faith in in labor <laughs> it's gone like it's gone um but it's I think that there is a level like Public awareness on these issues and the fact that they are being talked about, I think, is such a huge thing. Like we saw it with the renting campaign, like renters, you know, had been ignored for far too long. And then they were put on the agenda by the Greens and now it's conversations mm. that we're having where, you know, um, there, there seems to be like the government's trying to kind of scramble to do something for renters yeah. or talk about renters or make it look like they're doing something for renters because that was put on the agenda. I think a similar thing is happening with supermarket price gouging where cost of living is such a generalised term that they can talk about things that they've done for energy or they can talk about things they've done for the cost of petrol or things like that. Or they can bring in all these different things where they go, look at what we've done, whether they've done anything is up for debate, but um, they can do that. They can they can bring into these all different things under this cost of living banner yeah but when you start and you like you bring it straight into supermarket price gouging mm. that is something that they have never had to address before and that's now a word that is in the public's you know mm. vocabulary that pr- might not have been before um and now you have these duopolies they have to come in they have to you know talk about it we can make submissions to the inquiry and so i think that Above all, like whether there is a political outcome from that or an electoral outcome, there is going to be a community outcome and the community outcome is going to be an awareness that, you know, there is this price gouging going on and that there is, you know, the governments don't want to address it. And where do we go? Like the community then goes, okay, what do we do from here? Where do we go from there? And that can, from there, that can bloom into a whole bunch of different things in terms of, you know, how how that affects political and also community things. It's like, you know, it's very, very early, early days yeah. on, on these kind of movements. So where it's going to go, I'm not sure. But the fact that there is those changes and these things are being brought up and spoken about where they haven't before, I think that's a really powerful thing in terms of a future change, a future big movement of change that is going to occur. Yeah, well, any that's right. Any increased scrutiny of corporate power and profiteering can only be a good thing. And I think particularly in the context of, you know, where we've we've seen this kind of soaring inflation and we've had fucking interest rate rises that are purportedly designed to counteract that um, and have then, you know, just actually hit households even more. People are being really crippled by these kind of repeated interest rate rises because there's this narrative that continues to be pushed that ordinary people spending too much are the fucking problem and the cause of the inflation crisis. And actually countering that by looking at 
how inflation is being driven by price gouging and profiteering by big corporations like Coles and Woolies is so fucking important on, you know, kind of like a, a class a class politics, a class warfare kind of basis. Yeah, hundred percent. And like, I was, I was looking at a, a graph the other day that was like breaking down spending habits in gen, like in age groups because you know we if these rate rises keep happening and they are affecting young people. You know, first home buyers. You know, basically anybody under the age of forty are the ones who are being affected. And I was looking at this graph and it showed like anyone who is under the age of forty our spending is down. We have a negative spending when we're spending less because we literally have no choice. My dog is still barking. Um, He's he's a little vocalist this morning. Um, But the spent like this, our spending is down. And then people over the age of 40, their spending is up. And that is very concentrated to people over the age of 60 because people of the over the age of 60 own their homes with no mortgage and are spending and then also usually have a lot of savings which are benefiting from these interest rate increases mm-hmm. and so they now have more disposable income which they're using to go on a million different cruises and like the, the <laughs> cruise industry like the travel industry and the cruise industry is skyrocketing in spending um and so it's like you have a very clear picture where it's like you have people under the age of 40 cutting back on spending on essential services and then you have people over the age like people between 40 and 60 are just kind of chill and then people 60 and up with no mortgage are just like living the absolute high roller life um and there are some who probably argue oh they're old and they're in their retirement they deserve it it's like but if they are doing that off the backs of everybody else struggling severely and everyone else needing to cut their spending to curb inflation and they're the ones causing inflation is that really fair you know Mm. like well, it's an interesting segue because we actually, I think it, it will be a couple of weeks until it's out, but Tom and I recorded a Patreon episode about like intergenerational inequality and, you know, how we kind of look at that and say, okay, how did this this actually sort of just reflect the way that our system is set up to concentrate um, and proliferate like wealth concentration? And that's what we're really seeing when we see those graphs of, you know, higher boomer spending. So that's a little bit of a plug. If you sign up to the Patreon now, everyone, then you can hear even more on this in a couple of weeks time <laughs> do you think has the most riz tonight i would say abby chapel has the most riz tonight. i've checked out the competition and if there's the best dress award so far i'm winning i don't know my tiktok is the weirdest for you page i've seen none of these people get it now what? that's charisma is it obviously adam van so lila did you get an invitation to the tiktok awards this week no i didn't i'm so <laughs> upset <laughs> I'm so, I mean, I'm surprised. Like, I don't know. Do you know what the criteria are for getting an invitation? Um, no, um, I have no idea. I mean, I guess be famous enough. Um, go on TV. <laughs> I don't cut. know. That didn't yeah. make the cut. I haven't been on TV. I'm too controversial. <laughs> Haters are stopping me from going on TV. <laughs> I think that like I've shown my green allegiance too early um, mm. because I'm just not, I'm not uh, someone who is can see seen as sellable now like I don't have corporate like sponsorships <laughs> and all of that stuff like you know I'm not I'm not seen as someone who is eligible for any of that kind of mm. stuff and I blame it on the fact that I didn't keep the fact that I'm a insufferable green shell in my pocket true <laughs> true you should have played like Abby Chatfield and you know built a career first and then completely added yourself as like a major Adam Bant stan on the whatever it is red carpet at the TikTok awards for anyone who hasn't seen this clip there's this, this insane clip of um Abby Chatfield former i guess i guess she's known originally from is it the bachelor and 
she like said feminist things and everyone hated her for it. And now she has podcasts and she hosted FBoy Island. Is that a good summary of Abby Chatfield? Um, yes, I'm going to pretend I watch television. Yes. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Well, I have to say FBoy Island, I did enjoy. I, I actually didn't really know, like I'd heard the name Abby Chatfield before that, but I didn't understand who she was until I watched this. And I was like, oh, she's actually quite funny. Um, but she, there's like, she walks up on the, she walks along the carpet and then Adam Bant is also there oh, at the TikTok you. Awards for some reason. Um, and she sees Adam and Adam starts to be like, oh, it's Abby Chatfield. And she freaks the fuck out and he's like, oh my God, I'm obsessed. I'm obsessed. And is just like melting down, taking a photo with him, which I was like, oh, we have a, we have a stand on our hands. So fun. Like it's it's I mean Adam of all people, like I sorry know, Adam, that's, but it's like, <laughs> true. And he looks so nerdy and he does this kind of like point thing down because he clearly doesn't know what to do and clearly like wasn't expecting that reaction from her. And so he's just sort of like pointing at her and like smiling. I it's very cute. It is. It's very wholesome. Very wholesome content. I saw it and I'm just like, what is going on? <laughs> yeah, I really. That was a I surprise. Do, I'm like, what is Adam doing there? Like, what what is Adam doing there? That's well, okay. So I wanted. Were there any other politicians there? Do you know? I don't know. Like, mm. I didn't see anybody. But like, all the other parties have ditched TikTok. Like, maybe like I don't know. Maybe TikTok really likes the Greens because we didn't abandon the platform. Like, maybe you is know, that, like our screenies I, are are there. Is that like a conscious, I guess I didn't really, hadn't noticed this. Like you think that the other parties kind of gave it a crack and then left what? Because it's own like, because it has CCP interests or something. Yeah. Like there is a lot of, um, a lot of MPs like earlier this year completely vacated the platform. Um, hmm. And it wasn't just them. People like Sky News did as well. Um, hmm. But like a bunch of MPs who were consistently posting their um, like parliament speeches on TikTok, they just either deleted their account or stopped posting. Like they just, there was this active point where all of that, all the media was around China and involvement yeah. in TikTok and et cetera, et cetera. And when that was all happening, there was an active like, I guess, like they just actively vacated the platform. Like there was a big mass exodus um, of a lot of, like a lot of labor specifically. Mm. Um, I noticed um, that there was a big, a big mass exodus. And now they're slowly starting to kind of come back. Right. But they left the space vacant for so long. And that was a very big mistake by them. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I, this is what I think is interesting. Like I think obviously everyone now understands that TikTok is, is massive, like arguably kind of, I mean, it's the biggest social media platform for for younger people. Um, and I think there was a moment where politicians and everyone really was like, oh, I guess we should get on TikTok. But I, I don't know if they quite grasp the potential, particularly on like a, you know, in the politics and, and activism space. And you pointed out as someone who does like politics who posts about politics on TikTok um that's kind of you know how I first came across you that there is so much of that on TikTok and yet for some reason the TikTok awards didn't like didn't acknowledge that at all there was no category for kind of political activism or anything like that which kind of does seem interesting when you've got every you know like you've got oh you've got TikTok for good whatever the fuck that means you've got like comedy sport music live um international 
all these different categories. Business like, of the year. Businesses business. get a shout out. I didn't even, oh yeah, TikTok business of the year. Okay. But not activism, which there is a fucking lot of political content on TikTok. Yeah, a hundred percent. And it's really interesting because like uh, the political creators were essentially like TikTok Awards didn't really acknowledge the existence of, polit- of political creators at all. But they did invite Purple Pingers to the awards, which I found really interesting, like not okay. nominated for any category. There was mm. no category for people just who invited. have. Yeah, just invited because he is a popular figure on the app um, and is a, as a, in, in the general kind of population is someone who is recognisable. So they invited him. Um but they like, but the, you look at the actual like awards and nominations and their acknowledgement of their of what they consider creators in Australia, and it's like there's this big this big hole where basically anything political, anything activist, like social justice, like it's pretty much not there. Um, mm. As like you have a very genetic generic for good, which is not like doesn't encapsulate that in any capacity yeah, um and there's only vague. three people nominated for um so it's you like I feel like the it's really interesting to me that they um like embrace the political aspect but then simultaneously ignore it yeah how did you start like was that what you always kind of did on TikTok was like a more political focus I mean yeah I'm curious to hear your kind of I guess journey building a bit of a an audience and a brand on TikTok. Yeah, so well a bit of like if if people who are actually familiar with who if, with me and my content, if you've um heard me have a rant on Twitch or something before, um, or seen my tweets, um, I consider myself an emerald moon green. Uh, because the reason why I'm a Greens voter is because of Emerald, because I saw Emerald's Twitter back in like that's 2019. That's not so. Um, so that's my origin story um, is, yeah, I was from the Northern Territory. Uh, Greens didn't really have a presence. I'd moved down to Victoria um, and started tweeting more about politics and reading more politics on Twitter um, and, yeah, found Emerald and really liked what Emerald slash the Greens had to say. So, you know, who says social media doesn't um, change votes? Yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> um, but um, so basically I've always been interested in politics. Um, I was uh, like a, as a young person, I was kind of like a Labor um, Labor person. Um, would have been a Labor member if 2013 Nauru didn't happen mm, um, okay. because that was the thing that made me swear not to become a member yeah. um, because I was so like, disgusted by the whole thing um and I was in high school at the time and I was like yeah no I was like 20 no, 2012 2012 yeah. yeah um and so always interested in politics um and so became a green soda um still very interested in politics um but I was originally my entire like career path and dream was to be a tattoo artist so I'm a self-taught artist and illustrator so originally on TikTok I didn't really use it or do much with it. And then every now and again, I'd post something of my art mm, just randomly. Okay. Um, it wasn't any kind of consistent or anything like that. But then when COVID happened and lockdown happened, my dreams of becoming a tattoo artist were kind of put on hold indefinitely because the tattoo studio- studios were not open. Um, so I just found myself, like I was stuck at home for a really long period of time. I just kind of found myself going to TikTok and scrolling through TikTok um, and, and talking about it. And I kind of like started making videos about 
like just general commentary on things, commentary about politics. And I really enjoyed doing it. And because I had such a passion for politics, that kind of ended up being the topic that I always came back to. Like anytime I'm like, I saw something, I'm like, I want to talk about this. Mm -hmm. And I was already doing it on Twitter, like in my little private kind of account, like not as a public person. But it was kind of this transition for me where it was like, oh, I don't need to just make a tweet. I can make a video and I can talk about why I hate yeah. this. And that's so interesting. Like To me, that was like, that's so cool. Like I can just pull out my phone and I can just talk about, hey, like this is why I think that this thing is really bad. Yeah. Um, and then people started watching. And that was kind of the, like it was, it was just completely lockdown happened. I decided to start making videos and I always had this passion for this topic. Um, and, yeah, people started liking what I had to say and that was just such an incredible like I guess moment for me which was like the fact that people were listening Mm. um and that was kind of a I guess kind of pushed me forward in wanting to continue to do it because like it's like oh people actually are listening to me people care what I have to say like you know let's keep doing it let's let's you know keep talking to people and and growing and you know influencing like i I guess like not from a political aspect, but from like a encouraging other people to do the same thing as yeah. well, I think is really important is getting, make, making everybody feel like they can have political participation, I think was like a really big thing for me. Yeah. I mean, I, and I think that I would say one of the reasons that you probably had a lot of success is because you had and have like a, a distinctive style. Like I feel as though you don't do this so much anymore. You kind of mix it up now, but for a while, as I understand it, you had like quite a almost like formulaic, like you would deliver kind of content heavy, like almost like a news reader. It was like having the news delivered by Lila on TikTok, um, similar kind of settings, similar kind of like voice and phrasing. And so, yeah, there was this really like you could go to your page or have a video pop up on your um, for you page on TikTok from you and know what to expect. And I think that that was quite helpful. Like, I don't know if that was deliberate. Yeah, so so I, I'm a I'm a social media person. Um, in 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 the sphere of uh, human working, you know, <laughs> life, capitalism, all that stuff. Um, so I actually do social media. Yeah. Um, and so I have a like that's something that kind of came from me doing my content, but it's something I had a really hot, heavy knowledge of for a really long time. I've always loved social media. Okay. I've always found it really fascinating and kind of been obsessed with it. So like. I've always been that kind of person who goes, oh, like, I really like that video. Why did I like that video? Why did I stop and like that, watch that video? Um, you know, and so then going into learning about analytics and, and, and you know, retention rate drop-offs and doing all that, you know, nerdy data crap. <laughs> um, and I, so I was like, cool, I, I'm not going to, like, sit here and make a whole business plan or anything. I'm going to do everything still by my vibes-based. But my vibe here is that having, you know, core pillars of content where you have like specific like maybe three or four things that you talk about Mm -hmm. consistently in very familiar and identifiable ways people are probably going to stop and and watch more of your video because they know Mm. that they can trust you or they know what the kind of vibe is and they already know that they like that um so yeah it's like when I do my turf twitter roundups it's like everybody knows that when I have my fluffy mic and I and I go are women people? Turfs don't seem to think so. I'm Lila RPG and this is Turf Twitter Roundup. What's the everybody knows what it is. <laughs> it's like, um, it's, everybody knows exactly like what, what is they're getting. Um, so it's like, okay, it's just like a hot tip for anybody who wants to be a creator as well is bring in like your point within like the first eight seconds of your video because that is the retention span that people have mm. on this app. 
If you want people to pay attention and listen to you, you do something that catches their attention within the first eight seconds of the video. Mm. And I really, really want more people to be doing what I do because it is just such a great thing to have political participation and anybody can do it. Mm. I mean, what do you think about about then like because the criticism then becomes that the quote unquote attention economy or the the way that social media um, prioritizes hype like it caters to a short attention span and you, it has to be super catchy and that people will kind of um, dramatize or even twist the truth, that it kind of, it might prioritize misinformation, it might prioritize things that are not necessarily the news that people need to see or, or want to see. Like, do you think that that is dangerous in a way? Yeah, for sure. Like, I feel like misinformation in general is like kind of allowed to run rampant um, and definitely needs to be kind of like, I don't know, treated more seriously than it is. Um, But it is like, unfortunately, it is a system where I don't think that people's attention span can be changed. Like, I think at this Mm. point, we are in that in that position where uh, people's attention, like retention on a video, their attention span to scroll, 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 scroll is um, that's not going to change. We're going to continue to kind of experience that as we are just flooded with content. Like, I feel like you can kind of identify when someone's being clickbaity, um, Mm -hmm. like in terms of like, if you watch a video, you watch eight seconds of the video, you can kind of tell if someone is is being clickbaity. But for those that you can't and for the things that are misinformation, I think that's where stronger enforcement of misinformation and stronger like fact-checking and like those kind of things really come into play. It's like we we should be like suspect of anything that we, any information we see prevented, presented on our TikTok page. We should not believe what is said completely as truth without looking into it ourselves like that is a culture that we need to create where everything is is treated with scrutiny um and that we don't just believe something because we saw someone say it on tiktok or we saw it in a Mm -hmm. screenshot of like of an article like we need to like go and we need to have that responsibility upon ourselves and that there needs to be greater enforcement in general but also upon ourselves we need to make sure that we're not just trusting something that we see and that we are taking the steps to verify it. Mm. Yeah, well, I mean, so the government has this bill before parliament at the moment, right, this, which is around misinformation and there's been, and specifically on digital platforms. So as I understand it, the bill doesn't do a whole lot, but it effectively gives ACMA, the Australian Communication and Media Authority, more powers to enforce you know, codes of conduct and rules around misinformation on social media platforms you can kind of ask them, you know, what are you doing to ensure that you're enforcing um, policies against misinformation, has to go through a bunch of steps, eventually could then kind of get things taken down. Um, But there is a huge scare campaign against this bill and the idea that it is censorship and that it's going to be just a way for the government to crack down on dissenting voices and this is particularly coming from you know the conservative side of things or or the even the hyper libertarian side of things um and the kind of free speech warriors and like i i do get the argument that you don't it's always going to be subjective right like what is misinformation what's disinformation and i think we need to exercise a fair bit of caution when we're talking about giving any kind of body powers to um remove content from the the public sphere and from availability of, uh, for audiences to consume but i think that like 
social media platforms in general are far more likely to restrict the information and the content that's available to audiences in the way that their algorithms operate. Like we look at the way that social media platforms restrict, um, you know, content about Palestine, for example, yeah, that restrictive kind of practice of like algorithms pushing certain content out to people, that is far more like draconian and concerning, in my opinion, than anything that our government is likely to do. Yeah, I agree. Like in terms of like the, like having processes in place to actually look at false, misleading, deceptive information and assess that properly and, and not be something that's like completely algorithm based is, you know, would be fantastic. Uh but yeah, it's like we, you have things where it's like, if you make content, like if you make content about something um, and TikTok doesn't like it because it's not considered brand friendly, a brand friendly topic, then you will be like shadow banned. Mm-hmm. And that's not something where it's like, it's a secret thing that, oh, it's, you know, they don't shadow ban, shadow banning's not real. It's like, you can actively see it. It's like, I will make a video and it's like about something, like a topic, like for instance, weed like legalizing cannabis i'll talk about an update to legalize cannabis um and it's like that video will i i have nearly sixty thousand followers that video only has 200 views Mm, and it's like that 200 views happened in the happened in the first minute of it being up and then the view count stopped going up after that one minute like Mm -hmm. 200 people saw it in the first minute and then the view count stopped and it's like so no one else saw it it didn't it didn't get put anywhere and so the only time people who see that video is now people who actively click on my page and see that there's a video that they hadn't seen with a really low view count um so like that happens really frequently for like a lot of sensitive topics and so people then have to come out with ways to kind of get around censorship in Mm -hmm. in that aspect like you can't say palestine like you like in text anywhere on your screen or in your like your caption you have to add it like Mm -hmm. you have to muck around the letters and 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 all of that it's just like those those things that you know that you have to do it's like that is really concerning where it's like if tiktok decides to pull the trigger they can make sure that none of the millions and millions of people in that space will hear about a specific topic no matter how relevant it is to the public and how important it is for people to know about it they can push a button and that can be gone yeah. The other kind of question around, you know, censorship and, and social media that I find interesting is like the, the discussion around how politicians use social media to communicate to and with constituents and, and voters and whether blocking a constituent or a voter represents a restriction of their kind of free speech or their ability to access their representative. And obviously in the States, there's, you know, legal precedent precedent around the, the ruling that Donald Trump couldn't block people on his Twitter because they have a uh, an enshrined right to freedom of speech in the US Constitution or Bill of Rights. Obviously we don't have that, but we do have, you know, an implied constitutional right to free political expression. But I I kind of I don't know I don't necessarily buy into like the the panic around politicians blocking constituents because I just think that it kind of it is foolish in a way to think that that content or that page was an equal platform for engagement with constituents to start with. I think that it kind of in like personally kind of gives me this idea like this energy of the customer is always right. Um, like that, that same energy, like 
it's kind of like, I'm sorry, but if you're a Twitter anonymous profile sending slurs to a person of colour or um, like who is an MP, like, mm. you know, I don't think that you have the right to remain unblocked. Like, like I don't think that that should be something that is is considered like an outrageous thing that you are blocked because it's like we, there's a lot of people who are anonymous in this space and like I as a creator experience it and I have the luxury of being able to block people who send me horrific abuse mm. where it's like I but politicians like people get upset if politicians exercise that um so I guess it's the kind of conversation where it's like you still have the capacity to talk to your MP like if you want to send your MP an email if mm. you want to attend their electorate office if you want to you know contact them call them all of that you have that ability but I also feel like having like a kind of sweeping like a sweeping rule that you can't block at all yeah actually puts MPs in danger um and I I like for me as well like when Elon Musk was saying that he was going to stop people from being able to block like yeah that for me was terrifying Terrifying. because it's like yeah it's like the the amount of stuff like the amount of abuse that I've received and, and threats and you know really awful things sent into my 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 inbox and or into my replies and I can block them and it's like at least in that case like I'm not seeing that content yeah it's like I so it's really like I wouldn't subject someone else to do that just because they're in a well-paid position like I feel like that's you know not fair um that you should be like yes there is a specific level of abuse that you have to cop because you get paid well um I don't think that's fair um I think that there is an argument about how liberally some of them use the block yes um, the block button how many how many labor mps are you blocked by emerald because I got a I got a list I I have no idea I mean I feel like I'm not super (laughs) active like I usually don't bother because the thing is you know that like you're not actually talking to the MP. Like everyone knows it's staffers, right? This is the other thing. It's like, if you're using the argument that this is like restricting your access to your politician, I think that's, or your representative, I think that's like a bit of a stretch. I think that really we're talking about whether you should be able to on the platform of this MP speak to their audience, I guess. And so you should like, whether you should be able to comment and kind of critique or make whatever point you would like on a post that they make that then in theory is going to reach their audience. And yes, I think that there, you know, I think there is obviously a big difference between someone who is just posting slurs or um, content that's like violent, racist, discriminatory, whatever it is, and people who are voicing genuine political critique. And we we actually got a message about the, this this week, which is what kind of had me thinking about it um, from Harper on Instagram. So <clears throat> who's a like a, rate, a lower the voting age and a, a activist and a climate activist and has been blocked by their local MP, who happens to be the leader of the opposition in SA, David Spears, for criticizing his his posts and and kind of, you know, I've seen the screenshots. There's there's a post, um, they've written a substack about this Harper Forsyth um substack, if anyone wants to read it, but it's just kind of, you know, questioning his his uh, his posts around whether changing the names of public holidays is wokeism gone mad. Um, that's the whole thing. And it's like, <laughs> I, like, I personally don't think that, yeah, that necessitates necessitates a block, but I'm also like, I can understand, like, it just comes back to, for me, a bit of a reality check that it's like, this is a politician's communications channel. Like they control it and they, to, to fool ourselves into thinking that this is like just a public square for discourse is nonsense. It's not true. Mm-hmm. They control that. 
And I think that to rely on that to, you know, to, to campaign or to, to voice our opinions um, is a, a distraction, is not a viable kind of path of, of I don't know, of, of spreading the, the word. So I'm like, sure, obviously they're going to fucking block you. They're going to censor anything that you that damages them if that's the way that they want to operate. And in situations where even from a Greens perspective, like, I have seen managing social media pages in my work that there will be people who are just trolls that will comment on every single post and they'll try to spam the comments so that their voice is the only one that's heard. And in that situation too, even when I'm like, you may not be being racist, but you're fucking annoying. (laughs) You're annoying everyone. So fuck off. Yeah. Yeah, no, I I agree. I think that those, like, I I feel like having the option to to have that block is actually really, really important um, Mm. for, you know, maintaining you know an actual readable and not awful uh, environment <laughs> yes. but we, we also have to remember that like yeah like you said that these aren't really open squares like open yeah it's not a town hall you know <laughs> like you're not at a town hall asking your mp questions um it's like it is it is a little bit of an echo chamber and the fact that they have curated it that way like the people who are going to be following this mp are likely going to be people who support and vote for that mp mm-hmm. and therefore the comment section is going to be reflective of that yeah um you have Spaces where, you know, if you're a public high profile figure on like Twitter, for example, um, like a government member, you're going to post something, it's probably going to be filled with people who have a dissenting opinion on that piece of policy, whether that's from the left or from the right, you're going to have that there. That doesn't necessarily constitute that that's what the public overall opinion is. Like it's not a, it's not something to be drawn from, like just purely at a glance of, of, of what, um, of what it is it is yeah it's effectively like you said it's a communication tool it's to get information out mm-hmm. um and but with politics we always have to remember that the the information like that gets out is, is specifically tailored from that mp so yeah. what you see is what they wanted you to see in the communication they want you to read mm. it's it's not a it's not a town hall it's not a public square <laughs> it's like take like with a grain of salt yeah yeah well, take I, it with a grain of salt I think it goes back to what you were talking about in terms of kind of a range of you said something about you know a range of voices um on on TikTok and and the way that that kind of plays out in the public sphere and this is what is interesting about yeah politics and and social media and it hasn't necessarily eventuated as maybe people had dreams of when we first started conceiving of the internet and and social media as this like democratizing force. But it's true that what does seem to work, and there's an article, I think, um, that we can put in the uh, in the show notes that we may have discussed on the show before, but when Crikey did this analysis and some interviews in the wake of the last federal election, they talked about how the Greens used this like distributed um, method of organizing and, and posting online and use groups and that they kind of engage with a bunch of different uh, content creators and collaborated with them with people like you who are just independently at a kind of grassroots level creating content. They're not necessarily uh, authorized by the, I mean, it's even like our podcast as well, I guess, like we're not authorized by the Greens, but we, we're not an official Greens thing. We're not paid to do this by the Greens, but we do it on a kind of distributed level, which I think is what maybe the major parties haven't been able to grasp. And sure, they've tried. Like, I think they astroturf. <laughs> I think they they try and make this happen. But that surely is like the future of political communication online. And, you know, who whoever can kind of harness that 
And maybe it's not about harnessing it. Maybe it's because it's like if you are genuinely representing something that a lot of people believe in and that matters to a lot of people and they believe in what you're doing, that will happen. Hmm. Yeah, for sure. And I think like with TikTok in in particular, like I like I'm I've said I'm a big fan of political participation. Um, and I feel like with TikTok, it's created this environment that it's kind of changed the media landscape mm. um, in that we've always had a very specifically, like specific media fed to us. Um, and like the media has been control of the narrative that we see um, and therefore they can kind of, they, they can keep public control because they are able to control the amount of information that we have access to. Um, and therefore, you know, we end up with a lot of stigmatizing opinions against things like, say, welfare and stuff like mm. that, because the only information we've received about welfare is the things that are designed deliberately to paint them as like doll bludges or, you know, not yeah. wanting a job and all of that kind of stuff, um, like just as an example. So I feel like it's this one, like the, the media landscape is shifting and the fact that you can have these voices, like you can have politicians, um, you know, sharing information. And it's like, and yeah, it's like the the information that's being shared, it may be directly coming from them. It's the information they want you to see, but you then have the ability to go and check it. You have the ability mm-hmm. to go and, and engage with it and, you know, learn for yourself and and kind of create this environment where you are, um, you know, you are participating. So it's like you see a video on TikTok from your local politician and you can go, wow, that thing that you've said, I actually agree with it 100%. I'm going to go and learn about it. And maybe not everybody does. Maybe some people scroll past, maybe some people click like button and then move on for their day and it doesn't really impact them all that much. But there's going to be that very, very small group of people that do actively engage and learn about a topic and then may get involved or may get passionate. And it's, it's like it might be a small conversion, but any conversion mm. is really important um, because, you know, there can't be a big political movement without a, a like in our current society, without there being a big, I guess, meeting of on-the-ground activism and on-the-ground grassroots movement and organising and that social side as well, getting people engaged and spreading that knowledge of political participation. So there needs to be that kind of like both of them working tirelessly together because yes. one doesn't really succeed without the other in the current in the current climate. Um, and that kind of goes for and that kind of influences people who to like we have this generation of people who can just get on and make videos and commentate about politics and teach people about politics from from aspects where they may seem more trustworthy because politicians just in general people don't seem to trust them um so you have someone who can go actually i this thing is happening but i'm going to talk about it and i'm going to teach you about it and i seem more trustworthy so you might listen to me more than someone else who's talking about it because you we have a, a level of trust that we are individuals and we're not MPs or we're not the government or you know the prime minister um and yeah it's just like this this entire thing where you can just educate people and have conversations with people um in in this entirely new environment and combat misinformation in a way that we haven't been able to do before and I think that's really interesting changing the world one post at a time one fluffy mic around up at a time (laughs) yeah uh, one one uh one one shit post one meme um actually with with memes um it's very interesting like this this idea I guess like at the moment there's been this like big influx of like liberals in one nation and everything mm. going back to TikTok and, and YouTube and all of that and posting these like really silly like Minecraft videos or you know skibbity sigma you know all of mm. that stuff and it's like okay cool so you hired some zoomers great you're finally getting on board <laughs> um memes don't translate to votes <laughs> yeah they don't uh Clive Palmer has a lot to say about how memes do not translate to votes True. Um, 
but it's like the, the the type of TikTok or the type of like content, like having a meme every now and again is fantastic because people can learn about things through memes. It's funny, it's engaging. Um, but if you that is your sole strategy, it's not going to convert to votes if that's what you you're trying to do as a political party. Um, it's like what like the, the type of TikTok that's kind of emerging that I think the Greens are doing really well um, and that people like me do or people like Purple Pingers or Rachel McQueen or, mm. you know, like a whole bunch of people that like that's happening is that there is this, it's not a meme. It's like, okay, here is an actual serious social issue. We're going yeah. to talk about it. We're going to discuss it. We're going to, you know, engage with people and, and ed- educate. And that's like a very different brand of TikTok than just making a meme. That's a good point. That's a very good point. He's so fair, you wanna go. He likes to eat his butt. He's a great Speaking of, I mean, being, you know, censored by social media platforms, uh, Palestine continues to live under, you know, horrific conditions, occupation by Israel and what's happened in Gaza in the last week is fucking horrific. And, you know, a lot of people have been kind of pointing out that the interest, I guess, and the conversation around Gaza is diminishing while the, the horrors are actually kind of escalating um, and I know that it is hard to keep looking. It it hurts every time to think, every time I think about this, I'm sure that's probably the case for other people, but it, I'm sure it doesn't hurt as badly as being in Gaza right now. Um, so if you can, please continue speaking up for Palestine, standing in solidarity with Palestine. We'll put that Stand With Palestine link in the show notes again um, that kind of sets out the different things that you can do, but, you know, uh, participating in the targeted boycotts, participating in in rallies, calling your MPs, email them if you can't call them. All those things are helpful in continuing talking about Palestine. If you are in Nam, Melbourne in particular, there's this really cool action, as I understand it, that's been happening at the Victorian Parliament, the SIT Intifada. Have you been down there, Lila? Because you're in Melbourne, right? Yes, yes. Um, so I've been there a couple of times. So Ehab is a Palestinian man who has been uh, sitting, doing a sit in at Victorian Parliament every day since October 7th. Um, and it's it basically calling for a ceasefire, calling some for basically the thing that he's asking for is compassionate humanity um, mm-hmm. towards the people of Palestine. Um, and you know, it is a really powerful thing to go and sit to like sit and talk to Ehab. Ehab is the one who gave me this uh, kafia and taught me oh. how to wear it. Um, and so I think it's really important that if you are in, you know, if you, if you are in a position where you can get down to Victorian Parliament during the day, um, Ehab and a whole bunch of people have now started joining and they have lunch every day and, and listen to music and eat watermelon. It's just a really lovely, lovely environment. Like, but go and talk to Ehab because the humanity like that he talks about and the, the, the way he talks about life and Palestine is very beautiful and heartbreaking. And some of the things like videos he showed me will stay with me for a really long time. But I think going and listening to that message and then like taking that with you and knowing what mm. that means and continuing to fight for Palestine is just something that is just so so incredibly moving and invaluable. So I just really, really encourage everybody to go down, at least say hello to Ehab and, and show your support. 
Yeah, that's a that's a really beautiful action. I think Tom actually was down there in the last few days and, and posted a bit a video with him. So folks can look at Tom's socials for that as well. Um, but thank you so much, Lila, for filling in for little Tommy Boy while he's taking a break. If folks want to follow you, your are you at Lila RPG on all of the things? Just the same so, handle? Yeah, so I'm at Lila RPG on TikTok, Instagram, Twitch. Etc. Um, but then I'm Lila RPG TT, which stands for TikTok, on Twitter because okay. Lila RPG was already taken. Okay. So, um, yeah, that's Quite specific, uh, but yes. <laughs> All right, cool. Yeah, follow Lila. They're very cool. They do good content. Um, please rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening now. Giving us a five star review kind of helps us, you know, speaking of algorithms, pushes into the feed, talk to people about the show share our clips on socials we are at serious danger au on twitter instagram tiktok and youtube there's links to all of the stuff at seriousdangerpod.com including the links to buy shirts and stickers and to become a patron if you want to support the show uh i'll be away for the next couple of weeks but i'll see you all in a couple of weeks time thanks again lila bye thank you serious danger